and welcome to the special Saturday edition of The Time and Place, the gospel conversation show on the weekend. Uh, today, we're actually on a weekend because we have a guest, so let me go ahead and bring him on. We've been looking forward to this. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? Doing good. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm David Hayward. Uh, you may not know who that is, but you might know who the naked pastor is. That's me. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, in the church for many years, served as a pastor, left the ministry 2010, been doing naked pastor full-time ever since. So you might know me from my cartoons. Cool. Yeah. yeah that's where I know you from primarily is the cartoons. Um, uh, I don't know if you know Kevin Max, formerly of DC talk. Absolutely. Yeah. He posts your stuff a lot. So that's where I, I kind of saw. Well, we're, yeah. We're friends. We've okay, cool. Well, things together and stuff. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so the name, <laughs> can you explain the name Naked Pastor? Because Googling you is tricky. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard. Yeah, it's very important that Naked Pastor, you Google it as one word and not two, because if you do two words, you're going to see things you cannot see. So right. One, one word, though, you'll get me, probably. So uh, where did that name come from? So uh, back when I bought the name, and the URL, uh, nakedpastor.com, uh, the naked chef, the naked archaeologist, the naked truth, those mm, kind of things mm. were in vogue. Yeah. And uh, so I thought naked pastor because I wanted people to see behind the curtain of what the life of a real life of a pastor was. And I was going to be totally honest and upfront, raw, real, no adornment, mm. stripped down to the real deal. And so naked pastor was the perfect name. Um, have there been times I've regretted it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did I ever think it would become famous? Nope. <laughs> so I'm kind of stuck with it now because it's kind of like a brand. I don't right. know. Right. Once you go, yeah, once you get it, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. So the cartooning, that's that's an interesting switch from pastor to cartoonist. Uh, was that like a, a lifelong interest of yours or was that something you picked up later? How, where did that come from? No, I, I've been drawing all my life uh, ever since I can remember. My dad was an artist, and I remember drawing and sketching and drawing animals and drawing cartoons and, you know, um, kind of – I don't remember what they were called, but they were um, kind of like um, gnomes or something that drove big heavy metal cars and, you know – Scooped up muscle cars. And yes, stuff. yes, yes, yes. So like I, a rat, I, rat fink. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I remember drawing those and stuff, but um, I I just basically became an artist, uh, mostly pretty watercolor landscapes, which I still do. But in 2005, I thought, you know, why don't I try? I'd been blogging for a year or two, and I thought, why don't I try cartooning and um, see what happens? I, I, Thought I'd maybe last a month, but I'm doing <laughs> 17 years later. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it just took off. So you know, your, people, uh... oh, sorry, people yeah, people can read a post, get bored, scroll on. Whatever. Right. But my cartoons that are usually one frame, mm -hmm. split second. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So who yeah. are your kind of. Uh artistic influences other cartoonists that maybe you kind of looked up to or read growing up well the the one who um inspired me actually to do it i don't know if you guys have heard of it or if anybody uh has he's kind of famous in the more business world uh and that's gaping void hmm. uh, and hugh mcleod uh he was the one I, I i saw him doing his cartoons his thing was drawing cartoons on the back of business cards okay and uh they were just funny quirky simple black and white ink line drawings and i thought you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna try that yeah. and uh and then you know i love far side and mm -hmm. i love new yorker cartoons they're my favorite yeah. and uh so i try to um rise to that level of excellence in in cartoons so that's awesome. those are my big inspirations yeah, we're really both comic cool. book guys, so that kind of yeah. <laughs> right in our wheelhouse. Yeah, that's Julie. funny. Yeah. I was never a comic book guy. Oh, no, really. no, I, <laughs> I never was. I do remember though. I, I still wish I had it. Um, I think I had the first uh, um, comic that came out, comic book on the Scarecrow. Hmm. 
Hmm. Oh, and, like yeah. Villain? He was kind of like an underdog superhero guy in the, during the civil war and, huh. and, um, hmm. down in the States. Right. And, yeah. I'm in Canada. We haven't yeah. had civil war. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, Julian and I uh, worked at a comic book store together in in, uh, in college, so oh, cool. That's where we go back. But cool. Um, yes, yeah. Julian's Julian's the artist here. He's really <laughs> interested in uh, that, like us, the art world and, and drawing and, and doing different things. So those those of course one the questions he wanted to ask <laughs> right right out the gate. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you uh, design your logo? Yeah, the logo was me. I had a friend do the uh, some of the typeface for me, but the logo design was all. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Um, well, cool. So, yeah, I kind of want to get into it a little bit of, uh, just, I guess, the idea of deconstruction, because Julie and I are both Christians. We're very involved with our church. We grew up in the church and in Christianity. Julie went to a Christian school, and I did for a little bit. I was homeschooled, went to public school. Uh, it's kind of all over the place. But, um, yeah, and, and we grew up, uh, Julian, I don't know if you necessarily were as far as, like, uh, more Southern Baptist convention. Yeah, straight Southern uh, Baptist. <laughs> yeah, very traditional, very, uh, yeah, <laughs> that in Texas, we're both here in San Antonio, right. <laughs> Texas. So, um, you know, you can imagine. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of our background. And, and now we would be considered, I guess, uh, Reformed Baptist is kind of where we're sitting uh, right now. So, um, but yeah, we weren't always that way, but that's a little bit kind of of our background and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit more about your background of uh, while you were a pastor in in the ministry, uh, like what denomination or what, um, I guess, kind of flavor. Can I ask you a question first? Uh, Reformed Baptist, does that mean like a a renewed kind of a Baptist or is it Reformed Theology Baptist? Reformed Reformed Theology Theology Baptist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's, interesting. Yeah. Um, So... I call myself my own ecumenical movement because I've been so many denominations. <laughs> <laughs> right. mm-hmm. I, mean, I was born and baptized Anglican, which is your Episcopal. Okay. okay. Um, and uh, we just moved around to different churches. My dad was transferred here and there as a, as a policeman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just went to the most convenient church. So I never, ever felt a loyalty to a certain denomination, but I ended up getting saved like real born again in a Baptist church. Then we switched okay. to a Pentecostal church. I went to Pentecostal Bible college in the States. Mm. That's where I met my American wife. Okay. And then I went to Gordon Conwell theological seminary in Boston, got my master's in new Testament studies. Then I went to um, long story short, I got a job as an assistant in a Presbyterian church, okay. which is reformed. Yeah. Right? And uh, ended up, long story short, to get ordained in the Presbyterian Church in Canada. Served that for many years and then left and became a vineyard pastor. So I've been around. So when I left the ministry in 2010, it was actually a vineyard church I was the pastor of at that time. Hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is that is all over the place. That is kind of <laughs> everywhere. Okay, and that's and that's where you serve the bulk of your ministry in in church, or, yeah. or okay, was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was I was a I was a, a pastor for about thirty years, and I served the church before that as a student pastor, youth leader, you mm-hmm. you know, worship leader, you name it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, the church was my you know yeah. origin, and you know that's where I hung out for fifty two years of my life, basically. Yeah. 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 Okay. And what and what kind of got you started, I guess, on the on the deconstruction path and, and kind of was there any sort of like significant origins of that or was it just kind of organic or how did that happen? Um, well, I, I tell this story uh, a lot because people, yeah. a lot of people ask me this. I imagine. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's billions of people in the earth and maybe people in your audience haven't heard this story, but um, I uh was graduating from seminary and uh i was getting ready for graduation now i'd finished my studies i'd 
handed in all my papers. I'd gotten my grades, you know. So I, I was reading books that weren't on the syllabus at the time. Now, Gordon Conwell at that time was a sort of a progressive evangelical seminary. Okay. Um, so I, I was down in Harvard and saw a book on the bookstore shelf in Harvard Coop. Um, I picked it up just out of curiosity, ended up buying it and reading it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made me question my lifelong belief in the inspiration of scripture. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, I'm not saying it shattered it. I'm just saying right. it was kind of like a Jenga block tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it started <laughs> like weaving like that. And okay. before anybody asks, what was that book? Because I get this out all the time. It's called The Silence of Jesus by James Breach. It never made a splash on the theological world, I don't think. I just picked it up out of curiosity. It's amazing the things that can provoke change. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it can be a movie or a song or a right. relationship or an accident. You know, Anything can provoke change. But this one book was one of the most pivotal moments in my life. I, I was so upset uh, when I finished the book. I was actually had my graduation robe on. And uh, I was like freaking out and, and, and Lisa was like rubbing my shoulders and saying, you've got to go to graduation. <laughs> it was, it was that devastating, but that yeah. was, the, that was the beginning of my deconstruction and it took decades. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and, and I noticed uh, like through your videos in, in, in cartoons and stuff that, one of the big themes is to question things is to start yeah. questioning everything and like really just ask questions. And um, yeah. I, I, I want to get this right as far as deconstruction being the process of questioning, right? Yeah. Is that like, I guess it's kind of fair to say like just questioning everything. Well, that was mine. Um, okay. I'm very hesitant to right. find what deconstruction is because everybody's right. journeys is different. Right. I know some people who deconstruct by saying, I'm done and leave. They don't question, you know, they're done. And then you got people that wrestle with their theology and beliefs and everything uh, for decades like me. And then there are some that are in the middle. So everybody's deconstruction journeys is different. And that's actually the point. You sort of assume responsibility for your own spiritual path. Uh, That to me is deconstruction. And that may mean questioning your beliefs, questioning your relationships, uh, questioning your devotion to the church or, you know, all, everything like that comes into right. play. That's why, you know, I wrote a book, questions are the answer. It, it, uh, questions are actually, uh, for me, I found an amazing, uh, vehicle for personal growth and mm-hmm. for wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's interesting. And that, and that's kind of what provoked an interest in me in this idea and just kind of wanting to learn more is, because uh, I feel like I question everything. I question things all the time, yeah. uh, but I didn't feel that I was uh, deconstructing or, you know, it's in, so I want to ask you during your lifetime of uh, going to church and just being in church and professing these beliefs and, and having beliefs, having um, different uh, just ideas and, and, and stuff. Uh, did you never question even, even through seminary and like pursuing ministry and being a pastor even for years, did you just never question anything at all or did you ha- get never get questioned or cuz I feel like I, it just in my lifetime as a Christian I've I'm like what does this mean? I don't understand mm-hmm. how with the trinity like just a lot of things of kind of what is what does that mean? How does that work? What's this, yeah. you know, kind of thing? And yeah. I guess just asking questions and then being challenged by other people asking yeah. questions and, and stuff and okay, yeah, well, I don't know. Let me let me research that. Let me look into this. Let me learn um and so so as far as asking questions, I guess the, my question is, were you <laughs> not questioned or didn't ever question? And if you were or did you did question, did you have certain answers that changed through a certain process or, you know, uh-huh. or, or did you just never question anything ever? OK, so that, that's a really good question. Um, deconstruction. I, I'm not going to fight for this, but I think I'm the first one that used it back in 2008 to refer to questioning our beliefs. It's actually originally a philosophical term that was coined by the French philosopher Derrida. 
And, um, and basically it means you question the text that you don't just trust it because it's, you know, written or whatever, mm -hmm. you question everything, even the author, the author's intentions, our reception, mm -hmm. mission, every, every, you question everything. Right. And, and that just because something claims it's true doesn't mean it objectively is. So deconstruction, uh, like you, uh, I know for a lot of people, deconstruction is a bad word, but deconstruction literally just means dismantling or tearing down. Mm -hmm. And everybody at some point in their life has, has to do that. Right. Where they, so, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, is it really literally true? that mm -hmm. the 6,000 years old, well, you know, whatever, right. uh, you know, and I, I remember walking down the Grand Canyon and being, you know, shown the levels of the flood. And, you know, I, I remember reading articles about the man miraculously, miraculously is rescued from the inside of a shark that was caught off the coast. And he's still, you know, I remember. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, well, it just, I think it just happened again recently. Yeah, I think I remember that. Some guy did get swallowed by a whale or something. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I think I've ever reading that recently. Yeah. So, so my deconstruction started way back when I graduated from seminary. And so, and it just, I call it like a slow glacial melt. And it just took a long time because I did have questions, but my questions were trying to understand how to make it fit. Mm -hmm. into my theology or make it fit into my understanding of the Bible. Uh, so like, yeah, you mentioned the Trinity. It, it's not like um, there, there would be two approaches to that. One is, well, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, forget that. You know, somebody made that up. You know, that would be one approach. Yeah. The other approach would be, and this is the one I always took was, what did they mean by that? Like this, right. they, they weren't just trying to fool us or right. they stupid people. These were incredibly wise people. There must be some, and, and me trying to make sense of it. Mm. So that kind of questioning is just as legitimate. But so is the other kind of questioning is where what's behind all this, you know? So uh, me, um, the beginning of my deconstruction was me trying to make sense of theology issues and so on and make it fit into mm -hmm. my understanding of the Bible and theology. But then <clears throat> the real heat gets turned up when you question what you're trying to fit it into. That's mm -hmm. when it gets hot is okay. when, you, okay, you're trying to make it fit into what that's right. when, that's when deconstruction gets serious and yeah. scary. When you, when you question the, What's behind all this kind of thing? What's behind the curtain? Yeah, right. And that's, that's that kind of leads me to my next question. I was wondering about too with that. And is are there any because um, what you sound what what it sounds like when you're saying make you know questioning things to fit into this right? So like so what, like but well, what's that you know? So yeah. are there any presuppositions that we ought to keep? through the deconstruction process because it sounds like the kind of questioning that you had before of like well i'm going to question things but there's these pre these presuppositions that i just kind of that i'm not questioning those and i'm going to question how that fits and kind of right. reconcile everything else to my these certain presuppositions whatever they may be um are there anything like that that we that we should anchor and keep into the questioning i guess or is that i well um i Everybody does that. Right. Mm. I mean, it's just natural. Right. Uh, I mean, I remember doing it myself. Like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna go this far and no further because these are the things that are like, you know, central. Right. To the presuppositions. Yeah. yeah. Based on, but, yeah. Um, well, what happens when you just can't help it? When you just, when, when question marks start rising around some of these core beliefs that you mm -hmm. that you treasure and hold on to uh, it, it just can't be helped now, i often use the the story of jonah or or jesus jonah when he was um about to be thrown overboard uh from our perspective it's no big deal we know the end of the story we know he's going to get 
swallowed by a, a whale, a great fish, great. and yeah. he's going to be spit up on shore in a few days. We, we know that, but Jonah did not know that. Right. You know, wh whether you believe it's a literal story or an analogy doesn't matter. The point is, when he was thrown overboard, it was, it was over. Mm -hmm. it, it was literally over. It was done. That's it. I'm dead. And which I think he preferred anyway. <laughs> um, and then it's the same with Jesus on the cross. I claim from a man's point of view, the, you know, fully man, fully God, from the fully man point of view, it was over. Mm -hmm. It was done. It was finished. And, um, you know, deconstruction is like that, where you're getting thrown overboard or you're being crucified and you really do think it, it, it's over. It's that devastating. It really is that devastating when your core beliefs are, are, are you know, under, are starting to shake. Mm -hmm. You're starting to question your core beliefs. It really is like being thrown overboard. It really is like being crucified. And you don't know that there's a whale coming and you don't know that there's a resurrection coming. You don't know. It's, mm -hmm. it's that dark. So uh, with that, I, I, when we talk about things like crucifixion and stuff, you, you, have, you have that statement, you know, fully God, fully man. But yep. those are things that we would hold as kind of axiomatic to the faith, right? Like orthodox or whatever. Do, do you think there's anything that's axiomatic that just this is just true? This is this is a true foundation that even if we question it, it just is true. And then do you work from there? And it doesn't even have to be in the Bible. Is there just like a truth that like foundationally this is true? And then you can reconstruct on that. Because one of the problems that uh, I think I have with deconstruction and the language of it is that there's never like a reconstruction, really. Um, a lot of times it, it does tend to be the deconstructing and leaving. So once you've deconstructed, once you've taken off the all the uh, the gilding, is there anything at the foundation that's like, okay, this is the base, this is the truth, let's rebuild on that? Um. I know there's a lot of talk out there about reconstruction mm -hmm. uh, and I know there's a lot of uh, people are um, rebranding deconstruction, um, trying to, you know, make it okay for a season mm -hmm. uh, or make it a phase uh, um, as long as you, you know, come back or as long as you get restored or as long as you, you know, whatever. Right. Um, for me, I don't talk about reconstruction. Mm -hmm. um, I don't recommend it. So I, for me, I'm an open concept kind of a person where mm -hmm. I, for example, this house I'm living in, even though there's walls here, uh, it, it's a beautiful, in a beautiful spot. So we're looking a river um, and, but it was a cottage when we bought it, it was a, mm -hmm. a cottage, but I could envision it was all, chopped up into little rooms. Yeah. And I, being an artist, I guess, I have an imagination. I can picture things. And I could picture all the walls taken out of this place mm -hmm. and opening it wide open, open concept. Big kitchen, living room, um, dining room, all together with big windows looking out over the river and everything. I could picture it. My wife couldn't picture it. She was freaking out. Um, <laughs> she, couldn't she couldn't see it. Yeah. But I, I could see the open concept. And that's what we did. I took all the walls out and we love it. It's beautiful, right. open okay. concept. So it's the same with theology. Yeah. Why? My argument is why deconstruct from one uh, system of belief, build another one that you're only going to have to deconstruct later. For me, get, you need to find your truth. You need to, you need to go through this it's being thrown overboard you need to, you know, go through your crucifixion, um, but don't, you're not going to come back the same. Things aren't going to be the same. Right. right. And I think you that's will, true. You for... seen, yeah. You will have seen the other side that there's no point in rebuilding another theological system or, or, um, you know, maybe not so much in the rebuilding, but uh, reconstruction, but just through the process of that, like when you're taken down, your your the rooms in you know open con you know there were load bearing walls right yes. and yeah. so i guess i guess that's my the question is well uh, in, in not necessarily even just in theology but in, right. in truth in life in reality are there any load bearing walls that like 
hey, we can't touch those because then we don't even have a house anymore, <laughs> you know, but like yeah. you can, you can, you know, have an open concept, but you need, you know, there are, there are some things that if we take this wall out, the roof will cave in on you. And are there anything like that? Just kind of real solid anchor things just in, not in theology or the Bible or anything, but just in life, truth, reality, humanity, anything that are just solid. So, yeah. So what's, what's important in, in my opinion, what I feel is important is, uh, a phrase I've caught on to is the word is not the thing. I am more interested mm -hmm. in what is beyond the word. So I used to say, I'll never give up on God or, or, you know, or, or Jesus or the Holy, or, you know, all those words that were very important to me. I've come to the point now where I'm, I want to know what's beyond what is beyond all these words. Mm -hmm. It's like John Calvin said, the, the, the human mind is a, a factory of idols. Right. It's just yeah. a constantly, manufacturing idols right and that includes words that includes the words we use mm, okay and um because well that's what the mind does it comes up with concepts and it labels them and and so i think calvin was right that what is beyond then what are what are these words attempting to point to they're just signs they're just signals they're symbols words and so um that's what why my deconstruction or a lot of people's deconstruction is so thorough is mm -hmm. because we need to know what's beyond the words. The words so let me ask you in kind of an art sense, you know, the, the, the painting of a pipe that says this is not a pipe. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's true. Yeah. It's not a pipe, but you, I can go hold an actual pipe. Like pipes exist, but that is not a pipe. Right. And right. kind of in that way, you're saying these words like God, love, faith, they're abstract concepts that, that we put words on to define and fix. But Behind this word, behind this idea, is there a God that I can apprehend and know and 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 trust even? Right. And I can't tell you that. That's the mm. whole point is I, you have to find out for yourself. Hmm. That's that's the. Well, let me ask this way. Do you okay. think okay. it's knowable that there is or is not like I'm not asking, like, what would you tell me or like you you lead me? But do you think it's even possible to know? Um, again. That's what we have to find out. I like. I'm not trying to be evasive. No, right. no, no. I understand. But I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to encourage. What I'm really passionate about is personal freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's what one of the big driving factors for me. I left the ministry a few times, mm -hmm. and I've left the church a few times because I I needed to live my freedom. It's not that I'm against church. I'm not. I support church. And if you you are in a church that you feel safe in and that you're growing in and you're finding community and et cetera, et cetera, awesome. Um, go for it. But for me, what I'm passionate about is helping other people live their freedom. And so and, and to embrace their own spiritual, what I call spiritual independence, your ability to um uh, direct yourself to uh, be autonomous, to be self-determining. It's like Nelson Mandela, I think, said, that, you know, the, be the master of your destiny and the captain of your ship. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies for in our spiritual lives too. That may include pastors and teachers and prophets and you know churches and and all you know all that stuff. And it and it may not. Yeah. When I, when I look back at my uh, life in church and growing up as a Christian and, and the beliefs that I have and had, um, I, I questioned a lot of things. And I, I wanted to learn about a lot of things. Um, but I, in, it, I knew that there was an answer. I, ne I never thought that there's, there's no answer, that these things are knowable. And that I, so that gives meaning and drive behind why I'm asking the question is to that I would be able to find an answer. Um, and so, but so I look back and like growing up sort of like, uh, independent Baptist church, you know, and, in a lot of all the legalism and, and things that kind of come with that. Uh, mm -hmm. and then finding reform theology and kind of a lot of things that I understood about free will, understood about God and our relationship and just everything. Uh, we're, we're, we're shifting, but 
they weren't, it was, it was, it was growing. I, I felt that spiritual growth. Like this is not necessarily what my parents believe as far as mm-hmm. uh, I'm, they're not reformed, you know, you know, that, that, that denomination or anything, but so, but that's okay. And so I understand what you're saying as far as spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, making it your own. Um, but I didn't leave the church or the faith or, and I, and I think the, the reason for that is because I was, I was looking back, I was like, I question things all the time. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I, I'm not the same Christian that I was when I was, you know, 10 or something. And, right. and that's good. Like, I don't think, nor should you be. And so, right. uh, but that, but I'm still a Christian. And I think the core, the core principles of the gospel and scripture have remained intact. And if not, and if any, anything grown deeper into a commitment and submission to scripture and that being that sort of anchor rather than uh, like, I never questioned is scripture true is, is this God's word? Is uh-huh. this now I did question is every single word literal. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And so I've yep. come to, I've, so that shifted as far as uh, I don't believe the Bible is 100% literal, but I do believe the Bible is 100% true. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, that's a shift that's there. And, just, I, I also do believe that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. That never ended. That stayed the same. So these core principles of the gospel stayed. But I think the husk shed uh, a, a lot of culture. And I didn't even realize this I actually until this week in preparation for this for this this, this conversation. Uh, the word disenculturation and. I've real, come to find out and realize that's more what I've done. And that's more what I, I think Julian has done. And a lot of people have done is as they grow in their faith, as they grow in the church is a disenculturation where they deconstruct their culture, but not their faith. Right. Mm-hmm. That stays intact and that's there. But I no longer, you know, think drinking is a sin. You know what I mean? Like those, yeah. like things have changed, but if anything, it's, it's, from study of scripture and in, in the Bible more deeply. And so instead of questioning, is this true? Is there a God? Is this real? Is this right or wrong? As I question, it's what does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about family and, and education or truth or anything? You know, and so I guess, I guess that's what I mean when I say carrying a presupposition through the questioning process of, well, I know the Bible is true. And so when I have questions, that's my measuring stick. That's my anchor. That's my, you know, measuring device and my standard, I guess. It has to be questioned by what standard, right? I think, you know, okay, well, we should be kind to people. Okay, well, what does it mean to be kind? We should love people. Well, what does it mean to love? I should love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? I think the Bible has answers for all of these things, and Mm -hmm. I don't. And so I'm not... I'm, and, and that's a big thing too. Is the is the is, is myself the standard one answering, or the answers within, or the answers in God and His Word? And mm-hmm. if I'm the one asking, you know, I, if, am I the? Because that's something. Another thing I think questioning, and then the self I see as a great, really big themes of um, at least your view. I, I don't want to speak for everyone. Like I said, I don't want to. You know, just for the sake of this conversation of who I'm speaking to. That seems to be a thing is our authentic self, our autonomy, our, you know, your true self, your, you know, it's a lot of you, 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 it's a lot of me, 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 self, 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 and kind of that's where we tend to land, I guess. And so that's, um, I, I know I said a lot there, but um, this deconstruction versus disenculturation, shedding your culture, but not your faith in the gospel. And um, who, who we're asking questions and I guess who's the standard of an answer of mm-hmm. where we land, I guess. Right. Yeah. So um, when I, you know, when I, I mentioned the um, day I was graduating from seminary and this book threw yeah. a wrench into my beliefs about the Bible, you need, you need to understand up to that point, I was um, totally, totally, uh, a, a Bible person. And, you know, I remember in youth group, the youth leader um, took me under his wing. I still have the interlinear Bible um, that 
I studied with, with him, underlined in all kinds of colors, writing in the margins, arrows going everywhere. Uh, and so when I went to Bible college, I got my Bible and theology. I started Greek. Mm. I started Hebrew. Mm. I took Aramaic, uh, theological French, theological German. Mm. Um, all, all, and I studied under Dr. Gordon Fee, who is the greatest New Testament textual critic in the world at the time, um, and other biblical scholars. I mean, I was yeah, hundred percent all in, all in, as like in poker, <laughs> I was all in. Yeah, uh, and so when, then when that happened, I didn't. I wasn't like, oh, well, that's and just toss it all. Mm-hmm. I had to wrestle with that, okay, because I wasn't willing to throw out the Bible mm-hmm. because right. the Bible had played an, an incredible role in my life and a central one. And I loved it. And I, and so all through my ministry, I preached from it. I would even stand up. I was a total geek. I would even stand up there with the Greek New Testament preaching from the Greek <laughs> and, uh, you know, showing people how, you know, the grammar works and how, how it made sense and how it made it uh-huh. mean what it means. And I preached through Romans. My poor people, my poor congregation, I preached through Romans. And, um, you know, I, I did stuff like that because mm-hmm. I, I love the Bible. So for me, the, the question wasn't like, I know, I know I have friends who've done this where they're like, it's all garbage yeah. and, I, and they walk away. For me, right. I, I said, okay, I'm not willing to just throw it away. What does yeah. it mean? That's not questioning. Yeah. yeah, that's the question. What does this mean? I, I no longer take it as literal historical all these things are literally historical, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, and then, you know, I, when I got into Reformed theology and reading the Reformed theologians, mostly happened to be two, but my, and my, my favorite theologian, Karl Barth, of course, uh, yeah. a New Testament scholar, he's still my favorite theologian. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just uh, going on, you know, I read his commentary on Romans yeah. Um, one of the greatest reads ever. Um, and it, so I came to the place kind of like where Bart was, where yeah. the Bible isn't truth. Right. It points to the truth. Right. Just like John the Baptist pointed to the Messiah. Right. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the role of the Bible. It's not the truth. It points to the truth. Right. And so that for me helped me make sense of what the Bible means. So I didn't you know, yeah, I was questioning the Bible. I was questioning inspiration, love, all that, all that stuff. And I, and again, this was Bart's, um, I got this encouragement from Bart. You don't reject and you don't wholeheartedly just blindly accept. You, you find the middle way, the way through this problem for me was for years and years and years to wrestle with what does this mean? I'm not going to throw it out. And neither am I just going to blindly accept that it's, you know, what I used to believe the Bible was or whatever. And and I came to this place where I have a full appreciation for the Bible. But for me, it's pointing to or attempting to point to uh, what is true. Okay. Right. So I want to get into some specifics. And if you don't have an answer, that's fine. But, uh, you know, if you're still working through it or you don't have a solid setting, that's fine too. But kind of in your, in your explanation there, there's some things that I want to kind of stick on. So, um, like when you mentioned John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, he wasn't the Messiah, but he was pointing to the Messiah. Uh-huh. Uh, when we start talking about deconstruction and this points to truth, but it's not necessarily truth. And um, you don't have to reconstruct on this or you can take it or not. It's up to you. It's your truth, right? What, where does that put somebody like Jesus? Because if I'm looking at Jesus as a Christian, well then, you know, he's the incarnate God, his words matter. He has authority. But if it's all relative, if I'm just deconstructing and coming up to my own point, well, he's just some guy. Like, what does it matter what he says? Yeah. Well, we, uh, we, we can agree. He's not just some guy, <laughs> but why though? Why can we agree that he's um, not just some guy? Well, <clears throat> um, but you're right. Like I, I know. And like, I, again, I said, like people who are deconstructing are right across the spectrum. And mm-hmm. in fact, I just heard from, somebody today i'm totally deconstructed but i'll never give up on jesus mm-hmm. like jesus to me is my friend and you know and, and all the way to people who just become full-on atheists they, right. they just reject everything um and don't even believe jesus was a real person and that it was right. all conspiracy conspired by 
early church fathers in Rome to keep people under subordination and what, mm-hmm. you know, all right. that conspiracy theory stuff. Um, so uh, for me, what was important was, again, what what are we, what is behind all of this? Um, the thing that I left the ministry in 2010, I mentioned that in March, actually. So 12 years ago. Uh, this month, um, the year before that, I had a profound experience where um, I saw in a sort of a flash of insight that we're all one connected on a deep and fundamental level. Um, and I felt peace of mind, all that theological anguish I'd been suffering for so many years left. The peace of mind came and, and, and it stayed. And I knew that, okay, this is, this is the real deal. And I, I, but I saw that fundamental thing that we're all one and united on a deep and fundamental level. If you read quantum physics, you're going to read the same thing about cells and about quark yeah. and about all the, all the connection that's happening, the connectivity that's happening in the world that exists in the world. And, and uh, if you read philosophy, um, it's the same kind of thing. Um, and if you read in um, mystical theology, like um, Meister Eckhart, from also from Germany, Germany seems to play a big role, uh, about the, the oneness of all things. And, um, you know, even some parts in, in the Bible inspired this in me as well, where it talks about in, in Christ, we live and move and have our being, or in God, we live and move and have our being, um, which Paul borrowed from philosophy. Uh, and then you have um, God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. Right. Or Christ is the all in all. So these, these verses right. are pointing to some kind of a significant um, idea that we're all fundamentally connected and one. And I saw right. that. So, so is that what you would say is behind the... Is that behind what's behind, you know, behind scripture, behind these things that we're asking? You said like yeah. you want to move with the curtain, see what's behind the words and behind the, is that what you found is behind the, the words and everything? Yeah. So okay. there's one reality. Yeah. But there's all different. This is what I saw in that moment in 2009, which eventually led to me leaving the ministry yeah. was that we're that that fundamental connectivity between all of us and all things there's one reality but many words and many ways to just dis- attempt to describe it i drew a cartoon not long after that where it shows it's just one frame and it shows three people with, standing at a well one person at his well another person at his well another person at his well and the first guy says i have the living water and the next person says, I have the living water. And the third person says, no, I have the living water. Yeah. And, you know, that's that shows like denominations. Yeah. Maybe religions, mm-hmm. whatever. But you, we, we see that the well is all going down to the water table, which is the same. Now, for yeah. some people, that's really heretical. But for me, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I I would immediately go to say, you know, no one comes to the Father but through me. Like, so that's that sounds like Jesus saying, "I've got the wet, the living water." But in actuality, he's is he lying or is he not? Doesn't yeah. actually have so, the only way, the truth, and what? <laughs> when 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 Jesus is uh, said, no one comes through the Father but through me. Who says that's not true of everyone? That, now, that's another heretical thing to say. I think Muslims, maybe. <laughs> Who says that that is not true? Muslims? Like, and when Jesus prays in the garden, I think in John, is it John 17, the long prayer, mm-hmm. where he mm-hmm. says, you know, we are one as I am one with the Father, you are one with me, and I am right. one with you, and we are one, and everything's one, and, you know, all that. Who says that's not true? Mm-hmm. We, we say that's not true because we're all divided with our different theologies and beliefs. But what if what Jesus said was actually true? Yeah. That well, that, we causes, are one. that causes a little bit of a conundrum because in that same prayer, he has the phrase, uh, keep them in all truth. Thy word is truth when speaking to the father. 
So he, it, to me, it seems like Jesus puts a flag down and says, this is the truth. This is the way this is, this is it. He, I, I, I don't understand the inclusive Jesus because reading through the gospels, he's very exclusive. That's like a, <laughs> uh, he's a, my personal read on Jesus is that he's a very exclusive religious fundamentalist <laughs> who has, you know, he's back to the word, back to everything. That's his thing. Always back to, you've heard it said, or have you not read, or, you know, is it not written always, always over and over. So, I mean, what do we do with that? When he says something definitive like that, do we just say, well, that somebody put that in or he didn't mean that or that's not true or, you know, what do we? Yeah. So um, I bet you're uh, I bet your followers are having a ball with this right now. I don't <laughs> love to see some of their faces. Um, um, what what happens with that? Here's where the problems start. And great theologians are aware of this, including Karl Barth. Um, and and Barth had to deal with this, with, you know, the historical Jesus uh, studies and... Yeah. Um, the Jesus uh, seminar and stuff. and The Jesus seminar yeah. uh, and, uh, um, oh, shoot, mythology. Mm -hmm. You know, all that stuff that with... Um, Joseph Campbell or like, no, no, no. Uh, other German theologians that were oh, okay. talking about mm -hmm. uh, mythology, okay, um, the Gospels and so on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the synoptic problem, mm -hmm. all this is when people say, "But Jesus said," what mm -hmm. we actually need to say is, "John said Jesus said," right. And some biblical scholars go even. A step further and say somebody claiming to be john said jesus said you know this, right. this is the way biblical scholarship actually works this is what is actually working and then once you come to a, a place actually um where you you realize that this this dynamic is happening or could have happened we don't know um because all you can do is say, well, I'm just going to believe that John wrote that. Right. It, it's like with, um, you know, um, the pastoral epistles. Mm -hmm. Most scholars, most biblical scholars now agree uh, that Paul didn't write those, but uh, uh, disciples of his did. Um, well, um, right. What do, you, what, what do you mean by right? I mean, as far as pen to paper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could have been a sermon they heard it's, from Paul or something, but right. yeah, there's it's, definitely transmission and everything, but yeah. Yeah. So, but, I, but I would say that's a presupposition, right? It's like, I'm going to presuppose that there is a God and, and we all do this with everything. I'm going to yeah. presuppose that uh, be kind to others is just not questioned. You know, like that's my presupposition or we're all stardust. That's my presupposition is I'm just going to, that's where I start and from there build up. So we all do that. But depending on, and, and those are all, you know, faith-based uh, uh, presuppositions, I guess, we, we hold. And then build truth upon those things. So, because mm -hmm. there's no brute facts, right? There's no things that we just, like, know. And then, so, yeah. So, I, I guess, speaking from Scripture, we have a reliable source then. Because, and then, especially when, when we consider alternatives, which are myself. By myself being, especially in, like, what I kind of see the the process of deconstruction is why am I a reliable source of truth or uh, any sort of thing li like that? Because I know myself, I know I've been dishonest with people. I know I've hurt people. I know mm -hmm. I've hurt myself, I've right. known, you know? And so I, I don't, I don't see myself being the decider when it comes to, should I be kind to other people? You know what I mean? Just like take that one, for example, be kind, be, be, be compassionate, be charitable, be kind to others. Like, right. you know, I, how do I know that I ought to do that? I guess, you know. Yeah, but you see, <clears throat> this is where um, I'm very interested in um, human behavior and the way the mind works. Very interested in that kind of thing. Because I believe people believe what they want to believe. Right. Right. Yeah, I'd agree. People choose. Mm -hmm. People right. choose what they want to believe. And, and so when somebody says... Like, let's say you, for example, Solomon say, um, 
I'm, I'm going to be kind has to be a, a core value of mine. And not just a value, but a law, like a rule, like, mm -hmm. a, you know, I believe this is true and scripture encourages us to be kind. Right. Um, well, actually, it's a commandment, you know, right. Right. your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then even the Bible itself shows what the mind does. OK, mm -hmm. well, well, who is my neighbor? Right. Right. And um, and we've all I don't know. We've all heard, you know, this is going to hurt me that more, more than it hurts you. I'm doing this because I love you. Right. You know, that kind of like I've I've received love from people that they think it's love. It's it's not love. Yeah. It's not kindness. They think, you know, the kindest thing we could do to that person is 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 wipe them off the face of the earth. There's people that think that way. Oh, wow. Right. <laughs> it's not a surprise. That, yeah. Seriously, there's people but, who think kindness is shunning. Right. Kindness. Well, so what would you say? Like, I think about that, too. That's something I thought about, like, as a scenario of, like, well, what does it mean to be kind? And what would what would someone kind of questioning these things think about that? And, you know, it's, it's so like we have a standard. OK, well, well this is kind. But it, 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 I think it has to go beyond how it affects people. And how it makes them feel. We should care about people's feelings, but we should care about the truth more. Uh, and so, in that, in especially in our pursuit of kindness, and a very real example is like a doctor telling a patient that they have cancer. Now that's going to ruin their day. <laughs> that's going to make yeah. them cry. That's yeah. going to make them feel very, very bad and awful mm -hmm. and hopeless and scared and very, very uh, just going to make them feel terrible. But should that doctor? just not say that the truth I think has to transcend our feelings, especially when we're wanting to be kind to someone. Uh, I see this in our kids, you know, like mm -hmm. I have to discipline them because I want to keep them safe. They're doing things that are harming themselves or harming others. And I care about them. So I'm going to do something that they don't understand is a kindness to them and put them in timeout or restrict something or, or anything like that. They're not receiving it as kindness, but, it actually is same with the doctor and cancer and stuff. So it's going to make them feel very bad, but it's the truth and it is the kind thing to do. So I guess in that sense, if, you know, what do we, we think about that? Well, see the doctor holds the chart up to the x-ray and says there, that's right. the tumor. The truth. He points to the truth, right? Well, it's, it's proof. Yeah. Where I, I have people every day pointing to a scripture saying, I'm sorry to tell you this. I love yeah. you. You're going to hell. You're burning forever. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. They right. do. They do. They think it's true and that they have. But does it matter what you think? Does the patient say, well, I'm looking at that chart and I don't think that's cancer. I think that's a, well, it doesn't really matter. You have cancer. <laughs> you know, what you, I don't choose not to believe that. Say, like, well, that kind of doesn't matter. Like, this is just the truth. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you you get into what's what's objectively true, what right. what is actually true, right? And it gets goes back to my point um, that people believe what they want to believe, right? Right. So, but and, is it so? Like, I, but people, that doesn't determine truth, does it? Right. Or yeah, I've people say I, I I've heard this all the time. I used to be there myself. I'm going to come to this church because the pastor is preaching what I believe. Uh oh, whoa. Yeah, I don't know about that, minute. but <laughs> on one level, that's like, of course. Yeah. On the other level, whoa, wait a minute. Well, I would say I'm going to this pastor because he preaches the truth. <laughs> but it's actually your truth. <laughs> well, well, do you believe there isn't, do you is. believe there's only like truth is relative? Um, one, on that level, yeah. I don't, so, I'm not saying there's no such thing as truth. Absolutely you, not. There is truth. Okay. But, but, um, and you know, we don't have time where, yeah, right. <laughs> right. But, but like, I want people to understand that, um, you know, you think the church chose you or whatever, but actually you've chosen the church. You, you think that you're under submitting yourself to some teaching, mm -hmm. um, out of obedience when in actual fact you've chosen that right. you, that's what you want. Right. And in that we are the church too. I think there's like this abstractness of like there's this system that's like oppressing you or something. But well, are, isn't this the body of believers the church? It's not a building or an organization well, or right. yeah. denomination. It's 
it's us though. So, so I was like, well, I, I don't, I'm leaving the church. Well, I can't, I kind of can't, you know, uh, because I'm, I'm can't leave myself. <laughs> yeah, no, you know? I feel that way. I, okay. I left the ministry in 2010 and because of, things got really weird, uh, we were intending to like, I, I, I resigned, I quit. I wasn't kicked out or fired or anything. I, I quit. Yeah. And we were all still friends. Um, I, I chose a, a friend uh, who's also had pastoral experience to sort of take over for me. Mm-hmm. Everything was great until things got really super weird and we couldn't go back. Now I, I live in a place I'm in a remote place in Canada where naked pastors kind of infamous. Um, you know, I'm not well loved in a lot of places and I know most churches would not like to see me there. So mm-hmm. I'm, there is a church about an hour and a half down the road where Lisa and I can go when we have a chance and hang out and we feel totally comfortable there. So, yeah, you're right. Even though I left the church in 2010, uh, I still feel like I'm a part of it. It's my family of origin. Right. It's in my DNA. Right. I say, I say, uh, you know, Christianity's my home, but I have cottages everywhere. And I mm-hmm. mean, that. Uh, and, and so even though some people would like to say you left, you're done. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, 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 I still feel like I'm in the game Yeah, or I wouldn't be talking to you guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Um, I know we got to kind of wrap it up. Uh, yeah. you know, I can't want to keep it to an hour, but, um, yeah. I, I do want, I did want to ask, speaking of that, as far as, uh, still being in it and still being, uh, do, do you ever wonder sometimes if you're kind of still a pastor, but just have a different flock <laughs> or congregation with the naked pastor thing yeah. in, in the books and stuff? Yeah, good question. When I left the ministry, I struggled with, should I let naked pastor go? Um, but I kept hearing from people saying, you know, you're my pastor, you know? <laughs> and, uh, um, so I, I, I kept the name um, and I do feel like I'm really doing what I love to do. And that's helping people, um, I saw a, a person teaching on what it meant to be a pastor. And he says, a pastor's job is to get people from point A to point B in their spiritual journeys and just to assist them along like a shepherd. Yeah. Uh, and, and shepherds, they don't walk ahead of the sheep. They walk behind the sheep mm. and, and um, just make sure everything's safe. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. And that's the kind of pastor I want to be. And that's kind of what I'm doing online. Um, and, uh, I love it. Yeah. Cool. Well, great. Um, Julian, do you have any kind of wrap up questions or, or, I, close uh, it out or? I, I don't know if it's a wrap up question. It might be too big, <laughs> but <laughs> cause it's, I mean, I'm stuck on truth. Obviously we all are, I think. <laughs> yeah. And it's just that idea that like, well, you know, you, you do believe there is some ob- objective truth, not, it's not all relative. There's some stuff that is true. Um, does it matter to know it? Does it make a difference? It matters to look but not necessarily to find. Well, see, that's the interesting thing. Um, seek me and you will find me. Right. Never goes out of vogue. Once you find, then you stop seeking. Mm-hmm. You've got to constantly be seeking. I think it's. A, I think seeking is our way of life. I have a cartoon. Some people hate it. I love it. <laughs> Where a pastor's up front and he says, listen, congregation, I have an announcement. Uh, I can no longer help you find, but I can help you seek. And that's what I want to do. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it might be personalities, too, because like if, if somebody told me that, I'd be like, well, I, I got to go. I don't got time for this. <laughs> <laughs> this is very unhelpful. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, no, we appreciate your time. I really do. Um like I said, I've been seeing your stuff for a long time, so I was a little skittish about even, you know, trying to invite you on the show. I'm like, this guy's busy. He's got a big following. I don't know if it's possible, but <laughs> we appreciate you coming on, especially not knowing us from, you know, yeah, anybody else. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, Do you want to uh, real quick kind of put out your website, uh, your Instagram, yeah. anywhere where people can find you? Yeah, nakedpastor.com. Look, I've got a new book coming out. Flip it like this. Yeah. And that shows Jesus uh, teaching, uh, showing a woman how to flip the tables, you know, how yeah. we overturn the tables. In the oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's showing her how to do it. Um, and so it's called Flip It Like This, and you can pre-order it. I'd love it if you would uh, at nakedpastor.com. 
So it's coming out in July, but yeah. So and nakedpastor.com is my sort of hub, my base camp, and everything uh, I do uh, on social media is Naked Pastor. So okay, awesome. Yeah. Again, thank cool. you so much for your time. We really yeah, appreciate thank it. you very much. We really Thanks, appreciate guys. it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, cool, awesome. Well, that's going to wrap it up uh, for this week's special edition, the Saturday edition of The Time and Place. Uh, for everybody who jumped in, thank you. We appreciate it. It'll be up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, it'll still be up on YouTube. Anywhere you can find podcasts, the audio will be up. So uh, until next time, uh, not Wednesday, the Wednesday after, this has been The Time and the Place. We will see you guys.